Welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. G'day, Coxie. <laughs> now that that just rang in my ears because we yeah, we've uh, we've just recorded uh, our interview with a couple of people from uh, across the really big ditch, the very big ditch, over, over not much in, of a uh, ditch, it's a chasm, <laughs> over in good old uh, America. Um, so in today's episode, we have a chat with Bonnie Harvey and Michael Houlihan who you probably don't know about, um, but they actually started a massive wine brand in the USA called uh, Barefoot Wine. Um, Mm. And essentially, uh, they share their story of how they got started today in that business. And um, in that process, they actually talk about local cause marketing, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, And there's been some, uh, some conversations in the trade desk recently That's about right. cause marketing and how to do that in your trade business. And if you don't know what cause marketing is, well, you should have a listen to today's episode, of course. Uh, but Michael and Bonnie actually went on after they built that business uh, and they wrote a book, which was a New York Times bestseller. Um, that's called The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. Book titles seem to be really long these days. It's like a. Do you think that's sub-tagline. actually the entire title? I think it's a small. Anyway, they wrote a book, mm. uh, <laughs> but the best thing about their book is they've gone on to actually record an audio book, and uh, we're going to put some clips from that through this episode. It's very cool, and um, it's actually done like an old school radio play. So we used to have radio serials. Yeah. This is a bit before my time, but mum and dad used to talk <laughs> really? about them all the time. Sure? Stop it. <laughs> you used to talk about them all the time and they'd gather around the radio at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon to listen to the latest episode of the radio serial. Yeah, my, my dad talked about doing the same thing. No, uh, it was you. Yeah. You well, pay out on me and you think you're yeah, going to get away okay. with it. I didn't think I'd escape that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, now the other thing is they've given us a free chapter for you to have a listen to. It's about 20 minutes. It's in the show notes for this episode. So you'll need to go to tradiesinbusiness.com.au and um, and navigate to this episode. Super easy to find. It's probably the uh, the one sitting on the on the posts, recent post page. But if you go to the podcast section, you can search it um, you'll find it. Uh, it'll be, you know, forward slash something or other, barefoot. Spirit. Just search it. There's a little search bar up the top. Just search it. You'll yeah. find it. So there's a free chapter in there. Check it out. Uh, it's apparently the future of audiobooks. So um, we should do an audiobook, Coxie. I think I've got plenty of expression in my voice, but I'd be really concerned about yours. <laughs> All right, eh? We'll get, we'll get Brad Pitt to stand in for me. <gasps> Could be. Do you? Okay, so he, what's this an, book going to be called and when are we doing it? He'd do a pretty average job of being me, but I'm sure he could give it a go. That's okay. I'm quite happy to stand <laughs> next to him and let him go for it. Anyway, uh, check out this interview. It was a good one about cause marketing, brand building, uh, startups, and mm. um, and some of the mistakes that people make in sort of that entrepreneurial mindset of, of starting and growing a business. So it was, it was a really good interview, actually. There's was, some great nuggets. I was really, uh, really pleased with some of the nuggets that are in this one. So I'm going to stop prattling and you can listen to a couple of people from America. Enjoy. 
So here we are talking to, uh, well, a couple of former winemakers, actually. Uh, My so kind of people. I, I think a whole lot of uh, tradie wives' ears just pricked up. <laughs> and it's like, wait, wine, wine, I'm listening to that episode. Uh, so welcome to the show, Bonnie and Michael from California in the U.S. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're delighted to be in the down under again. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just been discussing some of the uh, the vernacular, uh, some of the language differences. So uh, tradies doesn't mean a heck of a lot to, uh, to you over in North America. But uh, our tradies are definitely very interested in marketing and it's an area that you have both... Uh, probably learned a lot of lessons along the way and, and uh, tried a lot of things. Uh, can you give us a, a bit of brief background? Obviously, we've heard your bio already, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, the two of you and, and how this all came to be? Go ahead. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I'm sure a lot of your audience has thought about starting their own business. Uh, so many people who work in the trades uh, come up with a good idea, a better way to do something, a new tool. And then before you know it, they're hiring and firing. And, you know, the guy hasn't touched a hammer in seven years, right? <laughs> well, that's the transition that we went through. And so our book, The Barefoot Spirit, is really about how two common people wind up thrown headlong into a big business and um, with national, international implications. So uh, as you're listening to this, you know, think about your next big idea. And, uh, you know, the question is, how hard could it be, right? And, <laughs> and how long could it take? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and for God's sakes, how long could it take, right? So, um, you know, uh, Bonnie had a client. Uh, she was working... Um, doing office management for a guy who was actually in the grape growing trade and he was a farmer. And, and so, you know, he was, you know, his whole deal was getting paid for his grapes and uh, it was really difficult one year. And then the next year and the next year, Bonnie discovered that he hadn't been paid for his grapes from this giant winery for three years. And that was Gosh. like about uh, $300,000 us uh, that he hadn't been paid for. And so I had just met her at a rock and roll club, right? And, <laughs> this is sounding uh, interesting. He comes to me and says, would you go find out from this winery, you know, uh, can you go over there and collect 300 large? <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is like, you know, I married the mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thought, you have to change your name to Claude. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just met her, right? So I go to this, I go there, and when I get there, they have just declared bankruptcy. Oh, and man. so, you know, it does not look good for the home team. And I'm feeling really sorry for this guy, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And, uh, you know, I look out the window, and I see this big stack of, uh, of stainless steel tanks, you know, and I, and I just wanted to make some small talk because I only had a few minutes and I knew I wasn't going to get any money out of these guys. So I said, what do you got in the tanks? And they said, well, we've got Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc wine. It's in bulk. And I went, really? And I looked out this other window and I saw this thing. It looked like a chrome locomotive. You know, it was stainless steel and it was just shining and it was in this big room that looked like a handball court. 
And I said, hey, guys, I said, what's with the chrome locomotive in the handball court? They said, oh, no, that's that's a bottling room. And uh, that's not a locomotive. That That's a bottling machine. And I and then it hit me like a chrome locomotive. And I said, <laughs> wait a minute. Why don't you guys just trade us some of that wine that's in those tanks, run them through that bottling line, and instead of paying us in dollars, you can pay us in bottled wines. We'll come up with the label. We'll come up with a marketing program. We'll come up with distribution. You know, how hard could that be? How long could that take? <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is doing so it. It can't I be that difficult. Back. Exactly. So, so I go back to Bonnie and I said, hey, I think I've got a partial solution. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. You know, we, we've got... We've got ourselves, you know, $300,000 worth of traded services and wine. And, you know, all we have to do is put a label on it and sell it. <laughs> that's all Piece of cake. <laughs> Piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. So it that's humble pie, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing that's how Barefoot Wine started, yes? That's it. Yes, it is. So we'll- That's how it started through a trade. We were not following our passion. We were following an opportunity passionately. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's a nugget. Yeah, yeah. And and that's something that we talk to our listeners a lot about and the people in our community is is keeping or finding a passion for the business because unfortunately a lot of them have taken a job and turned it into a business and, and it becomes uh, more of a pain in the neck than something that they actually enjoy. So... Uh, yes. How yeah. how did you find that experience? Like once you actually, you know, took that passion and then it became a business, what was your experience with that? Well, first of all, it was just totally exciting because everything we were learning was new. And so it was a, a big adventure. We went about asking a lot of questions of a lot of people. And uh, one of the things that we found out is our plan A of bottling all it all up and selling it to a big chain, paying the grower back and putting a couple bucks in our pocket, didn't turn out to be as easy as we thought. <laughs> Fancy that, eh? Yeah. The big buyer, whom we thought was going to take it all, said, you know, I can't take this. He said, uh, nobody knows about Barefoot. He said, what you're going to have to do is maybe put a million bucks into advertising, then I'll bring it on. I said, oh, but we don't have that kind of money. Mm. He said, then you're just going to have to go out and sell it door to door. You're going to have to sell it to every corner liquor store and little mom and pop business. And once it's very well known by everybody, become a household word, then we'll bring it in. Gosh. And he said, that's not only me. He said, that's anybody that's got a big store. They're not going to take your product unless it's well known. So Michael went about. San Francisco was the largest town next to us. We went into the city and he sold a few accounts. They were concerned about the same thing. Who's going to buy a, an unknown brand? And um, so we weren't making any sales. Very few sales for the first time and none when it came to reorders. Mm. So we were getting a little panicky. <laughs> we got a phone call uh, from a man in San Francisco in Chinatown. He said, we're trying to raise funds for a kids after school park. 
He said, all we need is $40,000. Can you help us out? <laughs> we said, well, not exactly. We don't have any kind of money, but we've got all this wine. We can't sell it anyway. Why don't we just give you some? So we gave him some wine. We said, well, maybe you can auction it off or you can pour it at your dinner, your fundraiser, and maybe some people kind of loosen up and write you a bigger check. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the next time we got our reports from our distributor, we saw that there were reorders in the stores around his territory. Wow. And we thought, well, that's really exciting. We'll try it in a different neighborhood. So we found out what uh, another neighborhood was interested in was cleaning up a creek. So we gave them some of our wines, and we also gave them a list of where to buy them. It was in their neighborhood. Ah, that's clever. And sure enough, they also had reordered and it worked so well that we ended up using what we called worthy cause marketing supporting small nonprofits that are in the communities and we did that throughout uh, our growth throughout the nation and we never really paid advertising we just worked with nonprofits that's where the passion comes in, mm. you see, because mm. our passion was working with the communities. It was working with people that are interested in conservation and in, 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 uh, education. education, the arts. Yep. yep. And we continued to do that. And we became more involved in these different groups. Um, we would go in and help them set up and break down. We would take their message and put it on a little tag and put it around the neck of our bottle so we'd get their message into the community at retail. And this is something that they couldn't do. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it brought more attention to them. It made the owner of the retail store excited because he was perceived as supporting their cause mm. and more people would be coming in to buy the product. So it worked for everybody. It's a fantastic idea and something actually we spoke to some of our members about this week, Cause Marketing. It's becoming something that even smaller businesses here in Australia are starting to take on board. It's not a hard way to market your product. It's not a hard way to start to represent something more than just being a plumber or a painter or a plasterer or whatever it might be. It's really interesting to hear how that evolved for you and got the brand recognition that you were looking for, but also helped you find a passion within the business and what you're doing, which is something that yes. I think is really lacking from most trade businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So like most trades uh, work in a, in, a, in a geographical area. It's a local territory. Right, and um, they're they're either offering goods or services to people in that territory. So the more that they can get the members of that territory to have a social reason to buy their products, the more they're going to have a loyal clientele uh, that becomes advocates for their brand mm -hmm. and their products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you don't just give it to them. If you just give it to them, they'll use it as a commodity and say, thanks very much and be down the road. But no, you make sure that your name is visible. Mm -hmm. You also make sure that it happens, you know, on a fundraising night. You make sure that they thank you from the podium. Uh, you make sure that you get to write a blog in their newsletter and all these other things that cost them nothing. Mm. but are a big deal for you. Um, so we learned that whole business the hard way. We started off by just giving it away, 
And then when we started to get smart about the conditions under which we would give it to them, that's when sales really took off. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think it's another area in which tradies lack the confidence to, I guess, negotiate those terms around that kind of relationship. It's not always something that tradies have ever done before. So it's great to hear it from a different business and a different perspective on, I guess, being firm about what you require from what you're giving out. Exactly. Now, the tradies are are actually um, delivering value. You mm. know, I don't care whether they're plastering a wall or putting in a new staircase uh, or replumbing a house. Whatever they're doing, this is a real value. And the nonprofits need this value. So, yes, they go out and they provide this service for the nonprofit, even or maybe it's at half price or maybe it's for free or maybe it's a small job for free. They help them with the park, this or that. The fact of the matter is that the people in that organization now, they're in love with that trading. Mm. That is their trading. If they need their roof done, they go to that roofer. If they need their plumbing done, they go to that plumber. And why? It's because he or she stands for what they stand for. Mm. And why not support somebody who's on your side? Mm. So... Yeah, it's great, and and it's. Uh, I think a lot of people complicate marketing these days. You know, we've got fancy consultants and marketing agencies uh, that make it sound harder than it actually is. So, um, it, I'm curious to know what you had to do to to then really build the Barefoot brand. It was really important, and we found this out after about the second or third year. <clears throat> to have our own representative on our payroll in every territory where our product was sold. And as we started to grow, we had to hire new people in those different territories. And those people is what we called the wine cops. <laughs> their job, yeah, their job yeah. was to go into the distributorship and make sure that our product was there, that they never ran out and they ordered in, in advance enough to, to cover any of the products that would be needed coming up. They'd go into the retailers. They'd make sure that our product was faced out. The product was right up at the edge. And if they uh, needed more product to bring in from the back room, they would do that. They would work giving point-of-sale material, marketing materials, and that kind of thing on the shelf. They would trade them out in different seasons. So we had seasonal point of sale material. Well, the retailers loved that because it brightened up their wine section. Yes. Mm. And when it was bright and cheery and holiday-like, whatever the holiday might be, then more people would come in and that's what they wanted. They wanted more people in their store and they wanted a fast mover on their shelf. Mm. And also our our wine cops would go into the neighborhood to find out what it was that the community was interested in, what fundraisers were they having. Or he might ask the retailer, what's your favorite fundraiser? And once the retailer says his favorite fundraiser, well, the next question is, well, can we put the stack right over there? Assume the clothes, right? <laughs> Love it. So one of, the, one of the biggest surprises for us and it certainly is for any tradie going into business, 
is how dysfunctional the system really is. If you want to be a success, you got to do the other guy's job without pissing him off, mm -hmm. thank him for it very much, and recommend him to his boss. Mm -hmm. But did you notice I said you do the other guy's job? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. We used to get really annoyed that people wouldn't do their job. Like we would think, why doesn't this retailer go in the back room and put it on the shelf? It's making money for this retailer. Don't the people who work there give a damn? The answer is no. <laughs> See? And that was a big surprise for us. Yeah. And, you know, the same problem with our distributors and, and truck drivers and everything else. We had a truck driver that drove all the way to California from uh, – from Minnesota, which is like driving from Perth over to Sydney in a truck and didn't make an appointment and drove all the way back with an empty truck. See? Because oh, he had another job he had to do. Oh. And nobody would fill his truck because he didn't have an appointment. They were too busy. So we had to babysit the truck drivers. Mm. We had to have a person on our staff who would call the truck drivers and say, hey, do you have an appointment? Mm. You know, because... The guy, you know, at our warehouse is loading everybody else's truck. He's not going to stop everything just because you got there. Mm. See? But, I mean, this is the kind of dumb stuff <laughs> that you've got to be good about. <laughs> so I that's why I think tradies would, tradies would be great at business because they're not messed up with too much college education. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> that's something we talk about a lot too. Yeah. But you, you're yeah, absolutely right. And every trade business owner is currently thinking, yes, yeah, somebody understands. I've got to think for everybody other than myself. Michael Houlihan drove to the far end of the Piggly Wiggly parking lot in Columbia, South Carolina. That's what he did in every parking lot, and it's what all good salespeople do. Park as far away as they can. The spots by the door are for customers. Store managers notice the courtesy. It was mid-May. The sky loomed thick and close, a dark, steely, greenish-gray. Michael didn't so much see the clouds as feel them, hot, heavy, and steamy. It was the kind of day that discourages movement. Ah, spring in the American South. Michael is a tall man, six foot two, a bit gangly, with reddish hair and an air that says he spent some time on a surfboard. He was wearing a dark suit, carrying barefoot wine samples in a bag over his shoulder, and holding a large foam core sign with a five foot tall purple foot. This was not a guy they saw every day at the Piggly Wiggly. When Michael had driven up, a dark-haired teenager was collecting stray shopping carts and wheeling them back to the store. By the time Michael started lugging his wine and sign across the 30-yard lot, the kid had abandoned his carts and was sprinting for the supermarket door. Hey, buddy, you better run. Say what? Run? Michael looked left and right. All he saw were parked cars. Did he hear the kid right? Then... Boom! The thunderclap almost knocked him over. Michael felt it in his spine. Whoa, what was that? He stood there, shaking it off. Maybe five seconds later, it began to rain. Not gentle, soothing, wimpy spring rain like he knew in Northern California. This was rain from a fire hose or a falling river. Buckets and buckets in seconds. Drops that fell like walnuts. <sighs> Got it. In seconds, his suit was soaked. His tie was soaked. His shoes and socks and pockets filled with water. He started running for the store. 
Then came the wind, huge, uneven blasts blowing hard from the left, then hard from the right. Michael's sign turned into a sail. It yanked him west halfway across the parking lot. Then it pulled him east. Then another gust pulled him west again. He was hanging on, figuring if he let go, the sign would land in Georgia. Left, right, lurch, wobble. Just don't let go. Inside the store, people had stopped. No one was checking out or bagging groceries or moving. They were watching this tall, fair-haired, California-looking guy in a suit, getting hammered by rain and staggering back and forth, wrestling with a giant purple foot. He disappeared out of view for a moment, then reappeared and heaved off in the other direction. He was barely making progress towards the door. The whole show took maybe four minutes. Michael tottered into the store through the automatic doors and just stood there for a second, catching his breath. He was leaking water onto the floor like a broken barrel. He looked up. The whole store, the shoppers, the clerks, the bag boys, the kid who'd been pushing carts stared at him wide-eyed. No one moved, just people staring. Michael stared back, dazed and dripping. That was the only sound, the dripping. No cash registers, no rustling, no chatter, just drip, drip, drip. Above them, out of the ceiling, that supermarket mechanical voice broke in. Wet mop, up front. A few seconds later, the store manager, a tall man with a southern gentleman's manner, walked up to Michael. Son, I know you have something to sell me, and I know you want to sell it real bad. Yes, sir, I do. It's probably every small business owner, if we're quite honest about it, but tradies in particular, you're thinking about your client and what your client needs, what your builder might need, what your contractors that are under you might need, your staff, your office people. There's a lot of pressure on a tradie to try and think about all of those areas in their business. But as you're saying, if you get the right support team around you, you as the tradie don't need to be solely responsible for those thoughts. No, but your company does. Correct. Because the results of everybody that you're relying on to get your product from your warehouse to the end user, you're relying on those people and they need to be handheld. Mm. And you've got to become you've got to become a critic of your own business. Every time there's a foul up, instead of, you know, yelling at somebody or firing somebody, you gotta say, now how exactly did that foul up happen? And what kinds of new pieces of paper or clauses in contracts or signs on the wall do we need to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future? And so you wind up spending most of your time improving your business. Mm. Never waste a perfectly good mistake. (laughs) (laughs) We've got another nugget. (laughs) Love it, love it. So on the subject of mistakes then, guys, uh, what's what's the biggest mistake you see entrepreneurs making? They fall in love with their own product. And that's all well and fine, except they also assume everyone else will fall in love with their product and all they have to do is come up with this fabulous idea for product or service and everybody's going to go for it. Mm. But you're not going to be able to get it to everybody because they don't know about it and how are you going to spread the word? Mm. You've got to manage the distribution system. So So that's the biggest mistake is they think having a good product or an excellent service is going to be what it takes to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we did. We thought, we thought because we had a wine that was 
you know, $6.99 with a cute label and, you know, a consistent taste and was a gold medal winner that people were going to knock out windows and kick down doors just to get to it. <laughs> you know what? We were the ones doing the kicking and knocking yes. to get to them. And that is the real biggest mistake that people make is that they underestimate what it's going to take to sell a really terrific idea. Yeah, who do I have? What do you want? Michael put a bottle of Barefoot Cabernet and one of the Sauvignon Blanc on Brown's desk. We bottled the wine and want you to see it. Brown picked up the bottle of red and looked it up and down. Then he did the same with the white. This is what you asked for. There aren't any leaps or hills or rivers. It's a label she can read from four feet away. The logo is the same as the name. It's in plain English and easy to pronounce. It's a name she'll remember and a logo she won't forget. Michael was proud of what they'd done, in the way of a student with a good report card. Barefoot was unique, interesting, and fit everything that Brown and the others said would sell. The wine, he knew, was terrific. The label was friendly and fun. What's not to love, he thought. Brown kept looking at the bottles. He didn't say anything. The silence was uncomfortable, but Michael sat quietly. Brown looked at the bottles again, but said nothing. Michael figured it was just Don Brown being Don Brown. Make everyone sweat. So, Don, how many truckloads do you want? Brown put the bottle down at his desk and looked at Michael like he was from Mars. Michael couldn't have gotten a worse look from Brown if he had clucked. Are you crazy? I can't buy this. Nobody knows this brand. Nobody's ever seen or heard of Barefoot. It's everything you asked for. Yeah? So what? That doesn't matter. No one's going to buy something they never heard of. You got to advertise it. If you're willing to spend $1 million on TV ads, I'll buy from you. We don't have that kind of advertising budget. In truth, they had no advertising budget. There wasn't $100 for ads. Then you gotta go make a name for yourself. You gotta go sell it to every mom and pop store in every corner till everyone knows what Barefoot is. Michael felt like he just got hit by a brick. That'll take years. Well, Hulan, you better get started. We've, we've covered some fantastic ground already and I don't want to run out of time and not talk about your book, so... How did you go from kicking down doors and uh, forcing your wine upon people to actually writing a New York Times bestseller about, I'm guessing, marketing and branding? Yes, that's uh, the lessons in the book is, are definitely about starting a business. It's any business, not just the wine business. And we wrote it because our staff and the people we'd been working with said, I've never seen a company run the way you are. You've had the same staff for years. They're, they're very dedicated to your company and to doing what they do. They're all very happy. And you're one of the fastest growing wine brands in the nation without paid advertising. You've got to share that with mm. others. You've got to write a book. Okay, so we wrote <laughs> a book. But we didn't just list do this, don't do that. We told stories, humorous stories, the stories of how we learned the lessons. And we got an excellent uh, writer. He was wine and food editor. And he was Rick Cushman. And he took our stories over a period of about a year and put them in the book. And it turned out to be very humorous, very fun. And uh, the book became a New York Times bestseller. 
Awesome. So that's how it came about. But that wasn't good enough because, you know, we made sales on the book, but then, you know, after a while, you, you everybody who's going to buy and read a book and take the time to do it and become immobilized to do it, mm. does it. So then we, so we started noticing that as we were speaking around the world, it, even in Australia, people were showing up with buds in their ears. Mm. And um, we asked them what they were listening to. You know, is it hip hop? Is it rap? No, I'm listening to a podcast on how to improve my business. Mm. Or no, I'm listening to War and Peace. I've always wanted to read the book, but you know, I don't have any time and I get to do it while I'm driving or while I'm working or this or that. So we said, we've got to do that. So we, mm -hmm. we went out, we got some audio books, we listened to them. And you know what? They were all kind of single dimensional. They weren't just lists of do's and don'ts, but they were read to you by a narrator. And some of them were Hollywood movie stars, but they, it was still them mm -hmm. reading it to you. So we thought, how are we going to take this to the next level, you know, and, and make it fun? And so we decided that what we'd do is create audio plays, you know, like the BBC and like old yeah. time, you yeah. know, a 1945 radio theater before there was television, mm. where you would hear the actors, you know, acting out the parts and, you know, the narrator would build the scene for you in your brain, right? Mm. And so that's what we did. And the new... The new release was just last month. It's called The Barefoot Spirit. It's an audio book. You can get it in Australia. Uh, it's available every place uh, the books are sold. Uh, it's, uh, it's, really, uh, it's really cool. We're very excited about it. Everybody that's heard it just loves it because you're right there. You, you, you don't hear Bonnie and Michael telling you what to do and not to do. You see Michael and Bonnie getting their butts kicked, you know, <laughs> and it's it's kind of it's kind of like oh I see if you do that this is the outcome right yeah I think that's a great <laughs> idea by entertainment yeah it, it, listening to audio books can be really flat and it can be really hard to picture the story in your mind when you're reading a book you're reading it in your own voice, I suppose, and you're creating those characters as you go. But when you're listening to an audio book, unless there's some expression, unless there's some fun, some theatre around it, it becomes very one-dimensional and you're perhaps not even really taking in what's being said. It becomes a bit of white noise. So can well, you tell speaking us... Of noise, speaking of noise, we have sound effects and music. That's awesome. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's like a movie in your mind. Our tradies will love that. Audio. Yeah. Yeah, 3D audio, audio, I like it. I like That's it. That's great. Another another marketing tagline. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so the book obviously last month. Um, how how have you marketed your audio book? I mean, you've marketed a wine brand and and built that up. Uh, have you been able to apply your own learnings to actually marketing a new style of audio book? Well, well, we went back to all the podcasters that had ever interviewed us in the past. And um, we'd been speaking for a number of years. So we went to all the universities where we'd been speaking and told them about it. And, you know, we told mom and cousin Eddie and everybody <laughs> spread the word. Yeah, exactly. And we've gotten really good feedback. Everyone who's listened to it just said, there's nothing else like it out there. And then we started hearing, I want to put my story, I want to put my legacy in an audio book like that. 
So that's our next project. Wow. We're going to take founders and, and keep their story alive by giving them an audiobook like we did. We know how it's done now. And we've got the production team, we've got the director, we've got the, the musical director. We can do it for other people. So that's where we're going. And the way that we're marketing it is through podcasts, just mm. like y'all are doing. Mm. Exactly. You know, um, we are we are scheduled for 70 podcasts in a six-month period from September the 3rd into like April the 3rd. Gosh. Wow. So we'll do 70, <laughs> 70 podcasts. And we're playing clips <laughs> on the podcast so people – and we're also – giving away a free chapter there's no there's nothing like tasting the cake before you buy it <laughs> so so we're gonna we're gonna give you a taste of the cake uh and you'll have it in your show notes we're gonna give you you and your tradie listeners are gonna get a free chapter that they can listen to it's about 25 minutes long but they're gonna hear all kinds of stuff going on. You know, they're <laughs> going to hear doors slamming, people getting thrown out of offices. They're going to see thunderstorms. They're going to hear, you know, rain and and uh, somebody trying to make a sale in, in an awful situation. And like the real world, this is this mm. is not glorious. Mm. But and they're it, all true stories. It's all true. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. So uh, you, you've probably got podcasts stacked, as do we. But uh, there's a question that I ask our listeners almost every episode, and I want to do it a little differently today. Is can, can you tell us about brand building from your perspective? Brand building, you, you start with a mission and you understand how you can create a logo and a name for your company that really demonstrates in the most simple fashion what it is that you do. What problem do you solve? Mm -hmm. In our case, the foot related to wine because grapes were originally stomped mm -hmm. barefoot mm -hmm. to make wine. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to make it complicated uh, it's very clean. Um, it's no curly cues in the lettering. It's you can read it easily. You want to reach the greatest number of people, and you don't want to confuse them. Mm. Make it simple. Make it straightforward, um, and say it in a way that lets them know that you're solving their problem. Mm -hmm. When we started Barefoot, the the wines out on the market were very snooty. You had to have a degree in enology and viticulture and French just to order a glass of wine. <laughs> and we didn't think that's the way it should be. No. Now, Barefoot, our, our uh, mission was best wine at the best price. Mm. And our motto was get barefoot and have a great time. <laughs> now, that's easy to understand, yeah. right? Even if you don't know French. <laughs> so, so... That's how we got going, and it, it worked for us. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. So I was just going to say, if you want to build a brand, one of the things you got to really think about is nobody's going to give you the time of day to explain what it is that you're selling and its features and benefits. People just want to know what problem you solve. And they want you to tell them in three words, you see. 
Like if you come up with a, a better joining technique that will hold the boards together and the building, you know, what you say is, uh, uh, what do you do? You say, uh, I reduce the cost of construction. And now the guy says, how? Mm. Well, guess what? He just handed you the mic. You're now on stage. Yeah. Now you can tell him what you're selling. Exactly. So the, the big problem that most people make in brand building is they get out there and they give them a fire hose. Mm. My idea is better than anybody else. There's nothing like this on the market. Why my idea does this, this, this. The other guy doesn't. No, no, no. You, you got to get them to ask you those questions. See, so that's our advice for brand building. Love, Love it. it. That's awesome. Mm. Well, I'm I'm standing here thinking I got to go get this audio book because I've listened to a <laughs> lot of audio books and some of them have been horrendously boring. Uh, despite the content being amazing, the the yes. narrator can make a big difference to it. So I'm really excited about uh, your theatrical audio books. That's uh, that's something I'm definitely going to check out. Uh, Excellent, and do tell us how you like it. Uh, yeah, for sure, for we sure. We like your feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to hear from everybody in Aussie land. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All seven of us. So, uh, so where can and, and we'll put all the links in the show notes, um, and we'll put the free chapter in there as well. So, uh, for our listeners, make sure you head to the website tradiesandbusiness.com.au. But uh, where's the best place to find out more about you two, Michael and Bonnie? It's our website. You can learn all about us and you can contact us through www.thebarefootspirit.com. Nice and simple. Following the, uh, the ethos. I love it. Yes. Keep, keep it, it simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you all the way across uh, the big basin. And, uh, yeah, we hope it all goes well with, with the, uh, the new audio book and, and sharing other people's stories as well. Well, we hope so. We hope we sell a lot of audio books so we can get down to Australia again. We absolutely love your country. We'd love to see you. We happen to like it too. <laughs> we do. It's not bad. You know? <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, I've guys. Have some of your oh, wine. Sorry. Yeah. We do have some nice wine. I, I might be very good at sampling good wine, so I'm, I'm happy to steer you in the right direction anytime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Well, it takes a lot of practice to learn about wine. It yeah, does. You that. know that. Yeah. Research. That's right. And I don't mind doing the research for anyone, really. <laughs> it's been quite fine. Thank you for your time thanks, today. Guys. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a blast. If you enjoyed that, there's a whole bunch more you can find at tradesandbusiness.com.au. Yep. Um, so go to the podcast section, as we said, grab your free chapter, have a listen, tell us what you think, and tell us if you think Coxie and I should do an audio book with me starring as Brad Pitt. Yes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> or Brad Pitt starring as me. Well. Who would stand in for you? Nicole Kidman. Oh, my gosh. All right. Just because she's got the same name or because she's your and idol? She has curly hair. Okay. Or you, used you to have. have. I do have curly hair. Oh, well. You've just never seen it curl. You do when I catch you like before. Yeah, you've... like at 7.30 in the morning yeah. when you're half an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> my hair just looks like a toilet brush. Uh, anyway. You I have Stiegelvarken <laughs> hair. Here we are. Who's what, what? Stiegelvarken. So, my family's Dutch. You and I have spoken about this a few times. When they came over at some point... My ex-husband had a, a haircut not dissimilar to yours and they were laughing at him and calling him a Stiegelvarken. 
A toilet brush? No, it's a, a porcupine or an echidna. Oh, or right. <laughs> there you are. Anyway, hit the website, uh, grab your free chapter. We've also got the links to uh, Michael and Bonnie's website, Barefoot Spirit. And if you haven't joined the group, head on over there. That's where we tend to chat about uh, all things tradies in business. We so, do. Um, that's on good old Facebook. So uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Ruru. You've been listening to the Tradies in Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesinbusiness.com.au.